Hi, and welcome to Ask the Pastor. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. Today's question comes to us from our Genesis series and has been our most popular question we've been asked, and that is, who or what are the Nephilim? Who in the world are the Nephilim? So um, to answer that, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I told you in the sermon this past Sunday, I wasn't going to try and tackle all that um, there. And so I'm going to do a special episode here on who are the Nephilim. So here's what we hear in Genesis 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Then a Philem were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, I told you on Sunday, I think that ought to raise at least seven questions for us. Um, number one who are the sons of God? Number two, who are the daughters of man? Number three, what does it mean to be taken as a wife? Number four, are humans supposed to only live 120 years now? And if so, why do we know that some live longer? Number five, uh, who are these Nephilim? Number six, why uh, were they really still on the earth afterward, like after the flood? And if so, um, how, how does that work after the flood? And then number seven, why are they called men of renown? Um, so we'll just take these kind of one at a time. Uh, number one, the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Um, the Hebrew uh, phrase there is the Bene Ha Elohim. Um, I'm going to just read for you from uh, Gordon uh, Winman's commentary, uh, the word biblical commentary. Um, which I've been told is one of the best um, for sort of evangelical uh, students of scripture um, on the book of Genesis. And so um, I've been using that in our study as I work my way through uh, Genesis. But here's what Wenman says. He says, three main kinds of interpretation are offered by modern exegetes to the sons of God. First, the sons of God are, could be non-human, godlike beings such as angels, demons, or spirits. Second, the sons of God could be superior men, such as kings or other rulers. Third, the sons of God uh, are godly men, the descendants of Seth, as opposed to the godless descendants of Cain. So is it that you've got, you know, the, the godly line of Cain, the sons of God, godlike people, mating with the daughters of men, maybe the, the, the women from Cain's line, um, and then Winman goes on to explain why he, along with, I think, the majority of, of evangelical commentators and, and pastors and scholars, really favor the first interpretation that these really are um, fallen dem demons. Um, and so uh, I'll just give you the a little bit of the the biblical evidence here, and and it really gets to a bigger point that maybe I should have even mentioned um, back in our our uh, study of Genesis chapter three. So we know from elsewhere in the Old Testament um, that, that that when this phrase Bene Elohim, the sons of God, are used, it's it's in 
always in reference to these kind of heavenly godlike creatures we hear in Psalm 29:1 um, David saying ascribe to the Lord o, o heavenly beings you know the the praise that is due his name kind of thing so um, He's talking to these heavenly beings. Uh, we hear, especially in Job chapter one, verse six, um, you'll probably remember this story where uh, we hear that now there was a day when the sons of God, the Bene Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And so the picture you get here is, you know, God in his sovereign sovereignty is still in divine control over all of the world, even Satan, the prince of this world, uh, who's been allowed in God's sovereignty to, you know, uh, to afflict people and um, uh, in different ways and, and bring ruin and chaos into our world. He's still on a leash. God holds the, the leash to Satan and these other sons of God that present themselves before Yahweh, the, the one true God. Um, and so, again, to understand the full picture of what's going on there, we kind of have to back up. And um, and like I said, maybe should have done this with when we talked about Genesis three, because uh, on Easter, when we when I started talking about the serpent in the garden, some of you, if, if you're newer to the faith in particular, you might have been wondering, you know, wait a minute, where did this evil serpent this, you know, you're saying that this is Satan. Um, where did he come from in the first place in this perfect garden? I thought, you know, Garden of Eden scenario. So I'll give you the real quick kind of prequel, Satan's backstory, if you will. Um, this is sort of the, the orthodox kind of Christian longstanding interpretation um, for, 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 you know, the vast majority of church history. Most Christians have, have just accepted that this is kind of, Satan's backstory and, and, and what transpired, um, what we know about the truly original sin. You know, it's 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 interesting to think that Genesis three was not really the the original original sin. That there was a fall, a pre-fall fall, if you will, even before the Garden of Eden. And so we get this uh, alluded to in two passages in the Old Testament in particular, um, Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. Uh, starting in verse 12, the immediate context is Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the king of Tyre. But um, like we know in so many Old Testament prophecies, there's an immediate context fulfillment, uh, often with regard to the nation of Israel going into exile, something like that. But so many of these prophecies, you know, um, we we know work in, in a dual kind of way. There's a dual fulfillment, not only in their immediate context, but in the New Testament as well. Christ comes and fulfills these Old Testament prophecies as well. And in the same way here, there's not only the King of Tyre fulfillment, but this is actually a, a, not a prophecy, but a, a hearkening back to in history, sort of prehistory um, in, in heaven, what transpired between uh, God and these fallen angels. So here's what we hear. Um, thus says the Lord God, Ezekiel 28, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, uh, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed uh, a guardian cherub. It's an angel. 
I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled uh, with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings by the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your traits. You profaned the sanctuaries. So I brought fire from out of your midst that consumed you and I turned you from ashes on the earth to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you, all who uh, know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You've become a dreadful, uh, you have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. And so, um, so many things that, that we could unpack there. Um, I'll just go ahead and read Isaiah 14 as well. Some similar, um, some similar de depictions you get here in, in uh, Isaiah's prophecy, again, hearkening back, starting in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And, and the, the word there is, gets transliterated as Lucifer. That's where we get you know this other kind of title for Satan, Lucifer, as day star. Uh, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. And then he goes from there. I won't read the rest of Isaiah 14. It's worth your time to go study that. But basically the, the sort of, again, orthodox uh, depiction we get is that Satan was uh, originally an, an angel. Uh, you know, you hear the most beautiful angel or the, the the guardian cherub. So some will say Satan was the worship leader in heaven amongst the angels. Satan was uh, the head of God's army and uh, of the angel armies. Uh, but one way or the, the other, Satan in his pride, we heard here, wanted to, to ascend to the, the throne of the Most High. Satan wanted to be just like Adam and Eve, wanted to be like God, wanted to be in God's place. He wasn't content to be a, a, a subordinate you know, worshiper of God. And so just like us in our sin, but even worse in his case, obviously, um, he sinned and God cast him out of heaven. We hear in the book of Revelation, this, this sort of description of uh, the, the dragon swiping his tail and, and taking a third of the stars out of heaven. And so some speculate that a third of the angels followed Lucifer in their sinful rebellion against um, Yahweh and are now have now become demons, fallen angels. Um, and Jesus confirms this in, in the New Testament. Uh, we hear in uh, Luke chapter 10, we hear uh, Jesus say, then I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Um, we hear in second Peter chapter two, verses four and five, um, where Peter's talking about false teachers in the church. He says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains, chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, and this is kind of our connection back to Genesis now, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly. And so here second, you know, Peter is connecting these these angels fallen angels cast into gloomy darkness with judgment 
and with the flood. And so I think that's that's this is our most uh, probably key connector text that we have is Second Peter two four and five. But we also hear in Jude uh, verses six and seven. And the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, God has kept in eternal chains now under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Um, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he, he, there's this connection with uh, likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serving as an example of by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And then so, here we get this connection in Jude, not just with these angels who wouldn't stay in their proper authority um, and have been cast into utter gloominess, but this connection with indulging in sexual immorality and pursuing unnatural desire. And I think that's another key with our text here in Genesis 6 and what's going on with this unnatural desire, because we hear uh, again in uh, verse verse. Uh, Two there, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive and they took them as their wives. So who are the, the daughters of men? I think they're just human women. Question three is what does it mean to be taken as a wife? Some commentators will suggest that the demons are raping human women. Others will say, well, the passage is really emphasizing human sin. And so the point is that these women were willingly engaging in intercourse with the demons in yet another attempt like Eve's first attempt to be like God. Maybe if we procreate and have children with these fallen sons of God, we can achieve divinity for our, our offspring. And I think the important thing is that either way, the result, you know, the, the main point here is that the world is once again being filled with sin. There's just sin everywhere. The sin of the demons, the sin of the daughters of man, sin of everyone, there's sin, plenty of blame to go around. Sin everywhere. Um, and which leads to question four, where um, God says in verse three, the Lord said, so my spirit shall not abide in man forever. He is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And so my question is, are, are humans supposed to only live 120 years now? And this first really tripped me up for a long time, if I'm honest. Um, you know, it, it seemed like clear evidence that the Bible isn't accurate. You know, we, we, we know have historical records, even in modern times. You know, it was just a 122-year-old French woman who died uh, a, a decade or two ago, and doesn't that discredit the Bible? But I didn't really realize and study and, and realize there's another perfectly good interpretation of what's going on in verse 3 there. God is promising that 120 years will be left on the earth for these people, for these wicked, fallen, half-breed people. In other words, God is foretelling that he's going to send the flood in 120 years. He's got to give time, Noah time to get the ark built. This is a massive building project. Um, and so God's going to give Noah 120 years, but a flood is coming. Um, which leads us to, to question five. We've kind of already answered who are the Nephilim. Uh, the, the Hebrew word uh, Nephilim comes from the root for, for the verb to fall. Or So these are the fallen ones. Um, they are, the Nephilim are a, a, the, the product, the, the offspring of fallen demons mating with fallen, sinful, wicked human women. Um, and so they are this new half-breed fallen race of, of creatures. Um, uh, question number six, were they really still on the earth afterward, like after the flood? Because we hear in verse four, um, 
It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. What's going on there? I mean, I thought that the whole point of the flood was to, to wipe out um, all of sinful flesh. Um, it's interesting. We hear of the Nephilim in only one other place in scripture. It's in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. The context is Moses uh, has sent the Israelite spies out to spy out the promised land of Canaan. Uh, before you know the the Israelites move in to take um, to take ownership of of the land God has promised them, you know we want to take a stock here, take assessment. You know how are we going to be able to conquer this land? And the people, the, the spies, uh, everybody except Joshua and Caleb. You remember Joshua and Caleb uh, brought a good report. You know we can do this with God's help, but the others brought to the people of Israel bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land. Uh, through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who uh, come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Um, and so some people will speculate that maybe Noah's daughter-in-law passed on like a recessive gene for gigantic like the Nephilim gene, and, and that explains their presence here in Numbers 33, uh, chapter 13, verse 33. Um, that may also be further justification for the conquest narratives in Joshua and Judges. Like, if this is really still kind of this remnant of not even, you know, fully human, this is like a half race, half breed people that are being conquered and 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 commanded to 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 be slaughtered you know maybe that gives more credence to um what we hear god god doing and and commanding the conquest narratives but others will point out well again the, the whole point of the flood was to wipe out this wicked sinful half breed race of people and so that wouldn't make sense and so they they interpret verse four as um when it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, they would say, well, that's not after the flood. That's just for the 120 years after God pronounced this judgment of the flood. And so they'll also explain in, in Numbers chapter 13, well, they weren't really seeing the Nephilim. They were seeing the, the, the Anakim and the Amorites. They look like the Nephilim of old. They're using that as a, you know, a metaphor to help explain to the people just how terrible and, and how, you know, gigantic and, and huge these people seem, but they're not really that massive um, as the, the, the true giants of old from Genesis six. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think the the issue there, I mean, Goliath, the Philistine, we know is six cubits in a span. That's nine foot, nine inches. Um, Og, king of Bashan, puts him to shame, puts Goliath to shame. We hear in Deuteronomy 3.11 that Og, king of Bashan, um, his his bed was 13.5 feet by, by six feet wide. Um, you know, and so... I think you you got to wonder, I mean, how do you explain people getting to be 10 or 13 feet tall after the flood? It may, Maybe it does make the most sense that these Nephilim really were the descendants of, of those Nephilim back in Genesis 6. To me, you know, if I can just um, start to wrap up here, I, I think we're starting to get into how many angels or in this case, how many demons can dance on the head of a pin 
kind of territory here. So you can kind of take your pick of interpretation there. I, I don't think that's essential. I don't think that's, you know, one of the others. Fine. I, I, I don't think uh, this is clear in scripture. I don't think it's, it's clearly the point of even this passage. Um, I think what is important. And lastly, we'll end with question number seven. Why are they called men of renown? Um, and I think the point here is that not only had sin reached a, its pinnacle point on earth with these, you know, demons and people, you know, mating and creating this new half breed of, of people without maybe even the whole image of God bearing, you know, being being brought forth out of this this uh, these offspring. Um, but it's being celebrated. You know, these are men of renown. These are these are. Um, the, the, the daughters of men and, and, and even Seth's line. I mean, only Noah was found to be righteous. So presumably Noah's got, you know, uh, siblings. He's got his own parents, whatever, that um, cousins that are, that are, um, and certainly Cain's line. I mean, if, if, if Cain and Lamech and all those that we studied uh, last, last week, you know, they are, they are looking up to this giant race of people that are really the product of this sexual out of boundness of a type that is unheard of even in scripture since then. We know how much importance scripture puts on who we sleep with, right? Um, you know, some people these days ask, why does God care who I sleep with so much? And maybe we'll do a whole separate ask the pastor on that. But the short answer is because, you know, you think back to Genesis two and what it means for a man to leave his father and mother and be one with his wife. There's, there's a, I think a sexual suggestion there that, that it's a supposed to be a, a beautiful thing of, of intimacy of, you know, there's no more intimate kind of connection that people can have than, than that kind of a connection. And, and for, for humans to take that and then to, to share that and to do that with, with demons is just a type of sexual perversion of a type that, again, we haven't, we don't even hear of anywhere else in scripture or know of since then. And, and so sin really has reached its pinnacle. And, and this is the turning point where God is going to say, um, yeah, some, something's got to, got to change here. We, I, I, I care about the world. I care about humanity too much to let this continue to go on. And so God in his mercy, as we're going to hear this coming Sunday, um, is going to, is going to step in with a, a rescue plan. So, um, with that being said, I'll be excited to, to see you guys back this Sunday. Um, or you'll see me anyway, and, uh, still miss you guys. I pray that you are um, holding up well there at home. Hope that this will give you 22 minutes worth of interesting uh, content to think about and go and do your own study on the rest of today. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Don't forget that you can ask your questions online at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And thanks for listening.